You're listening to Some Pulp on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 16. I'm your host, Bruce Edwards, and I'm joined tonight by co-host, Justin Edwards. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? What's on tap for tonight? This is Sump Pulp number 16, and we're going to talk about the golden age of Cold War narratives in the 60s in TV, film, fiction, and maybe a few uh, stories and news uh, items that uh, contribute to the uh, the atmosphere of the uh, of the 60s. And I'm going to call this episode The Men from Acronym because there were so many uh, themes and tropes involving organizations that that uh, had names like The Man from Uncle, which is a primary topic tonight. Why don't you take it away? What's kind of some of your early experiences in kind of discovering this spy genre is what you watched kind of come to the forefront of culture? Well, my first uh, awareness of there being something called spy literature or spy narratives or, or even a, even some kind of, uh, of real-life uh, drama that was going on behind the scenes was uh, when I was introduced to a James Bond comic book that DC published called Dr. No, which, of course, became the first Bond movie. But uh, I got it by subscription. Uh, I got it in the mail one day, and there it was, Dr. No. And I, I, I learned in reading that comic book uh, with the backstory and and so forth, who James Bond was, and and uh, I, I wondered if there were other stories like that one, including you know some maybe American agents of of some kind. And in the news a few weeks later was the uh, the famous U two, not the rock group, although they probably derived their name from this incident. The U two pilot who was downed in uh, the Soviet Union space and became a cause celeb, which, uh, of course, uh, is already coming out as a movie uh, this, this fall to, to join the, uh, the, the Cold War narratives, uh, Bridge of Spies, uh, Steven Spielberg movie, uh, another team up with uh, Tom Hanks. But uh, that, that was all in the news and all heightened my, uh, my awareness. This, this all starts flowing, you know, 63 is the the time of these Cold War narratives I became aware of, and of course that's the year of the Kennedy assassination, which was also a brutal time. Definitely, and I think you're seeing, uh, in part, would you say the Cold War is responsible for that, and kind of pop culture was a reflection over, you know, kind of wanting to be of the times and wanting to kind of cash in on like, hey, this is all the interest in the news, and um, let's reflect it in our our made-up stories. Well, you know, it already had begun. I mean, Ian Fleming had been writing his uh, his novels uh, starring uh, James Bond in in, uh, in the early fifties, and uh, you know, then they just burst onto the scene as as potential movies, and uh, you know, you know, undoubtedly there there were going to be American counterparts and and uh, related narratives and. Uh, you know, we, we've had other episodes even on this broadcast, uh, like on the uh, Sputnik and the uh, the space race, and we've we've talked about the JFK assassination, and all of this is kind of you know, a, a, a literature of paranoia, and whether it's the the film noir in which your own society looks, you know, begins to seem uh, paranoid about uh, who's watching me, what what's the surveillance, and so forth. And so, the, to me, the counter wave of, of stories is the the good guys. In this case, it would be the CIA or, or uh, uh, other uh, uh, uncle type uh, organizations that are created, uh, who who then also uh, create the counter narrative of well, maybe they're not the good guys. And so, uh, when NBC. Uh, started the Man from Uncle. It was utterly new to me, utterly, utterly new to ne- uh, new to network TV, as far as I was concerned, because it was a, a you know a weekly you know exploration of foreign governments and the intrigue, 
and uh, and even the very first uh, man from Uncle, the the pilot, uh, introduced me to uh, a narrative about uh, African dip- diplomacy, and uh, the the possibility that uh, we were in a race to uh, make friends of uh, the newly post-colonial African nations. So that's that's in the plot of the first man from Uncle showed uh, shown on uh, on NBC in uh, September of. Uh, 1963. That's great. And so were you, did you become a regular watcher of Man From U.N.C.L.E.? Is this something you would do every week? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't miss it. And, uh, you know, uh, for its time, it was also ready with a lot of uh, related uh, marketing materials. And, you know, there were a lot of, of uh, spy toys out, and I had a, a uh, kind of uh, uh, identifier, like an ID, and I... Uh, took it to school and proudly wore it, and of course nobody else at school knew what that was. And uh, you know, as we've been talking over the last uh, several months on these broadcasts, I I tended to be the the first person to buy these things because my parents were highly indulgent, and uh, you know there are all these uh, typical man from uncle scene showed these uh, these special pens that were also communication devices. And uh, I think they even uh, beat uh, Star Trek to that innovation of having the uh, local localized communication tools. So uh, uh, I was uh, part of a conversation I couldn't have with anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you kind of see the um, kind of the very classic kind of neighbor boys who talk to each other through walkie-talkies and. Um, you know, something we love to play growing up is spies. There's something very uh, enticing about getting that vicarious, you know, experience of that espionage and that sneaking around. Um, you know, and I think that's, you know, for all of the different reasons we we enjoy television and movies and, and our comics and whatnot, you know, it's part of it's escapists and part of it is also just that vicarious living experience. Um, and I think for me personally, I, I love the whole spy genre just because it is that that chance to go like, uh, kind of like imagine what it would be like to, you know, not necessarily have to deal with that real danger, which, um, you know, you, you consider it is around us, you know, just not so much maybe today as it was in the '60s with that that feeling of paranoia you you reference, but um, it's still just such a, a wonderful genre to to take part in and to to live through these characters and and kind of get to play those role plays with them yeah well it it opened up a whole genre for uh for television and particularly the uh the major networks and uh, you know because we're used to westerns and the kind of fighting it means you have a gun or or you have an arrow if, if you know if you're uh, indian fighting off the the uh u.s Calv- uh, calvary calvary i did the same thing in reverse <laughs> cavalry and uh, and uh, but this was a new kind of fighting. These guys were like karate chop guys, and uh, and so uh, Robert Vaughn, who played uh, Napoleon Solo, and uh, David McCollum, who was really my my favorite actor besides uh, David Jansen of The Fugitive, and uh, he was a unique character. I mean, he was a a, a positive role model for uh, for uh, Russian characters and uh you know they they both had that distinctive way of uh, of of fighting they didn't punch like a boxer they they uh kicked and and swept people out from under their uh, uh their armor and uh you know choked them and uh uh all, all these sorts of of moves that you know weren't being made on uh, on uh, american tv and you know later would become commonplace with all the uh, Chinese and Japanese films that that uh, were characteristic of the time, but uh, this this was all new, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> it, it just started a, uh, a a bandwagon effect, and and, and it it kind of injured what I what I loved about the Man from Uncle and what what made it unique is that each episode was entitled the Something Affair, so like the Johnstone Affair or the uh, the uh, you know electric uh, 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 throttle machine or affair and, and they they all had that that name of uh, one kind or another 
and uh, uh, it, it was a pretty straightforward show with adventure and uh, and you know humor and uh, you know kind of a, a, a playfulness that you know your heroes could be in trouble uh, and, and like they they you know later were parodied in the Austin Powers series. Uh, there's always the uh, uh, evil character who uh, has to explain everything and gives the heroes enough time to escape from their right. their peril. Uh, they invented that, the talking bad guy syndrome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because all their plots are so convoluted, they need somebody just to sit here and tell them what we've been watching. Uh, it was uh, also a time when... Um, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, the Batman series came on ABC, and it started off fairly uh, benign and straightforward, but then became very campy, and with all the you know uh, graphic uh, uh, kinds of uh, statements like uh, smash and and uh, biff and oh and all those kinds of uh, onomatopoeia. And it, it kind of pulled the the Man from Uncle, which had, which had high high ratings on Tuesday nights, which is when it debuted, and uh, it, it stayed there uh, until the end. When I think it got shifted around, which is always a death knell for any TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they tried to to make it appeal to twelve uh, year olds uh, more than the sixteen year olds. I think it you know it was uh, focused on originally. Um, and uh, it, it, it kind of you know dragged down, and plus they added uh, another night, and this was the girl from Uncle Stephanie Powers, who was a staple of uh, of sixties uh, and seventies sort of uh, detective and uh, police action sorts of roles, and she was chosen as uh, the girl from Uncle, and 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 they were not very well done episodes, and uh, for whatever reason, it, it, they ended up. Uh, Undermining each other, and uh, you know, within three years, the man from Uncle was was done done for. When uh, in those first two years, they were really at, at the top of the ratings, and and a unique uh, unique moment, you know, like like the Fugitive, and and like uh, uh, Maverick, and a lot of my favorite shows. They were clever. They were uh, unique in in their 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 own genre on television, uh, and then they decided to mix with the formula and. Uh, Instead of uh, staying with the, the witty, humorous, uh, clever uh, uh, repartee between both heroes and villains, you know, they uh, they undermine each other. That's too bad. I think it's interesting you say about um, the Batman TV series, which you know, to me, always struck me as you know, even just growing up seeing it in reruns, is just how silly it was. You know, it was very cartoonish. And really bad, you know, what we call today are bad, like, dad jokes. Like, just horrible <laughs> puns and, you know, just really silly. Like, we were just talking about this the other day where there's the one scene where, like, they're flying in a helicopter over the ocean and sharks are jumping out at the helicopter. And Batman tells Robin, hey, get the shark repellent spray. And apparently they open a cupboard and suddenly there's shark repellent spray which they always have handy and they start spraying it and the sharks go it's just kind of like realizing that you know batman himself started with right dc detective comics um and just kind of the shame that it became this real campy really silly you know when you wanted to take it as seriously as a detective and want to get lost in it but i don't think they really ever ended up doing that with that series no, it, it had a few uh, high moments at the very beginning of the series, uh, because you're, you're fascinated if you if you love the Batman comics with uh, with you know how they're going to do the Batcave, and you're interested in uh, you know the the way it was going to be plotted, and whether the stories would have a an arc, and or whether it would all be one offs, and you know it pretty much was a bunch of connected, vaguely connected one offs, but uh, mm-hmm. the. Uh, yeah, the disappointment was almost immediate, and uh, in some ways, Batman didn't copy the Man from Uncle as much as it copied the Monkeys, <laughs> right. which is you know a real, real strange genre to copy from. Uh, uh, one, one of you know that sort of uh, plotting is uh, is about a teen teen band uh, completely put together, a complete uh, uh, arbitrary association of four guys, and then. 
you 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 write their history uh, as you go along, and uh, and you don't even have them play their own instruments. It's it's be sort of like uh, uh, the uh, uh, if uh, the man from Uncle were about uh, rookie cops who who didn't know who each other were and were just introduced in a room and and uh, not given anything to do in common. And uh, but the man from Uncle was was well plotted, well. Uh, great exposition at the beginning. Uh, you know, uh, most people loved it as much for their style and their music. You know, the the, the background music sometimes w- w- is called now danger music. Uh, the the you know dark, misty, behind the scenes uh, uh, intrigues that uh, you know only that uh, sort of secret agent man music can can kind of. Uh, uh, really uh, convey and um, actually I began to realize uh, l- listening to it again today it's really some of the music from Detective 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 yeah and, uh, and it's really really uh, impressive I think that recreation definitely uh, I would say it's a, a major influence on where we wanted to go with that music as well you know I think um, leaning a lot originally before we scored that film we used a bunch of temp music from like the oceans movies which of course steven soderbergh um was referencing back to these uncle shows and um it's just kind of a curious fact too, to know that eventually uh steven soderbergh was attached to direct man from uncle for a couple of years until it fell apart um the film version which finally we got to see this past week um i don't know if you want to talk a bit about this new one just to kind of stay with uncle for a bit um sure thoughts on it sure uh well i uh i i tried not to read any reviews and i i succeeded for the most part but i wanted to see a couple of positive reviews according to uh, rotten tomatoes and and just to see if the the people uh, who were watching this were the right people to see it and to report on it because I, I read a lot of reviews after the fact that uh, clearly did not understand the premise of the original and and you know what what kind of place it had in in uh, the pop culture of the time and why uh, Robert Robert Vaughn and uh, David McCollum were were perfect for exemplifying these two uh, two really uh, diverse characters. Uh, and, and what they're trying to, to do in the in the uh, progression of the stories, uh, and you know a few did, and and I think you almost have to be part of that that '60s culture to have grown up in it, because I don't even think watching the uh, the shows uh, 20 years later uh, gives you enough of the of the total atmosphere of the uh, of being a kid. And, uh, and, and, you know, maybe being exhausted by TV westerns and wanting a new kind of hero and a different sort of guy to look up to. And, you know, and, and also uh, I would commend them because they, they also had action roles for women. And uh, even though they were often used just for, for eye candy, uh, they were often also part of the plot. And, and, the, uh, uh, and I think that's what happens in this uh I don't even know what I want to call it, restaging, because I think in many ways it it partakes of the same era and its uh, its atmosphere in in a, in a positive way, and and so the heroine uh, is uh, you know a, a very special garage mechanic from East Germany, <laughs> yeah. and uh, she she has those talents as well as you know having her own ability to to, to fight and wrestle and and uh, outwit the. Uh, the, the bad guys, which you know are sometimes uh, the KGB and sometimes they're uh, you know sort of Nazi latent Nazis who are are hanging around the, the 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 world culture and you know trying to maintain their standing and trying to have a a uh, uh, a rebirth of the of the Nazi regime and so they're you know bad guys from all sorts of accents in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, Juliet and I caught it last night, and um, you know, I wouldn't say I'm pleasantly surprised because I did expect it to be pretty good too. Because um, I do tend to trust Guy Ritchie in, in what he's doing, and um, I, I tend to enjoy anything he's he makes. Um, but yeah, I think in, in the end, we we were very impressed and, and had a really great time. I think the crowd really enjoyed it. They 
cheered at the end and everything. And, um, you know, you don't see it too often, but I, I think there was a, just a lot of fun to it. Um, really, really enjoyed the, the three leads, especially, I, I think, of a special place for Henry Cavill. I think just his speaking voice is very, like, feels to me like, uh, you know, a lot of reviews are even saying, like, just it's like a classic Bond film, but I think they're mixing up the reference there is that classic Bond films were also <laughs> looking to the Uncle series as well um, to, to find that kind of, like, there's a lightheartedness to it, and it's a lot of fun, and you know that they're having fun in it, um, and it's just thoroughly entertaining from beginning to end. Right, and uh, you know it, it has its uh, set pieces, and I, I liked all of them. And uh, uh, the uh, the thing I think that, that a lot of the the critics who panned it, and you know there weren't a lot. I mean, almost everybody said this is enjoyable. It's light. Um, it, you know, it's not as serious as uh, uh, the Bond movies and that sort of stuff, which which I didn't expect and didn't want it to be. But uh, the, uh, the even to the point, uh, I haven't seen anybody notice this in their review, even the logo, the, uh, the, the font of the, uh, uh, of the typical Guy Ritchie use of graphics in a, in a, in a scene, you know, to explain where they were, what they were doing, or, you know, they even use that font from the original uh, NBC show, which I really liked uh, because yeah. it was it was it was both reassuring and, and a connection, uh, and uh, and the the music that was used in the soundtrack it was uh, uh, from the era, although you know wasn't music I was familiar with. It just partook of the kind of of uh, uh, instruments and uh, uh, both jazzy and cool. Uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, overture and uh, uh, and scene setting, and, and I enjoyed all of that. I, I was the last one to leave the theater because I wanted to wait and see, you know, what they used in in the the movie because uh, I didn't recognize it as a as a, a a real contemporary of the time that I, you know, would have watched these. But it was. I mean, they they chose from the era between sixty three and sixty five. And I just wouldn't have been exposed to that other than uh, if it if it played on a you know a jazz FM station, uh, which I didn't frequent very often in that that time. And and I also enjoyed their uh, their new backstory. I I didn't know that I would uh, would like it, but uh, you know uh, I don't I don't think you know Napoleon was not a a former thief. I, but I thought it it fit well. It was okay. I, I didn't mind that. Uh, uh, Ilya Kuryakin's background was was similar. He, he's a uh, a Russian agent. Uh, I didn't uh, learn much about Ilya's um, actual heritage and and uh, uh, where he, where he was born. That sort of stuff in the in the TV series. In fact, even the fact that Ilya became a regular in a, in a uh, you know, a, a co-lead in the in the uh, original TV series was was part of the fact that his presence in the original pilot, which you know got got shown on NBC as the first episode, uh, he was so popular that it ended up being kind of a demotion for for Robert Vaughn, and and so that you know their their joint appearance in the script now was was kind of co-equal. And uh, part of their rivalry in saving each other uh, in in various episodes, uh, you know, one one being the one trapped versus the one doing the saving, um, they they played off that pretty well in the in the movie. Uh, but it really was the 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 happy circumstance that uh, David McCollum's character became so popular, and they they had to use him because uh, you know, Robert Vaughn alone wasn't perceived as a. Uh, a strong enough leading man anymore after after Ilya Kuryakin came on the the scene. That's interesting too, and I, I liked um, that aspect to this show originally as well. Is that you know during the Cold War, Russia is our enemy, right? But we got to see them twist that and say no, they're actually you know America likes to just say a country is the enemy, and then we think all of them are an enemy. But um, getting to see them you know treat a Russian you know, spy with respect and the dignity of, of knowing that he can have a good heart and do the right thing in situations. 
Um, so it's just kind of always nice to see us not necessarily just always saying like, hey, they're from the Middle East, so they're terrorists, you know. Yeah, and that that was uh, a nice nice touch. And, uh, you know, it's uh, to me it's a movie that can be enjoyed on, on many fronts. The art direction, uh, the... Uh, the kind of uh, parody in within a parody that I thought was going on as well. They were not only uh, reflecting on their original uh, heritage as a as a you know, starting as a TV series, but I think there's even some parody of Austin Powers uh, and uh, some other movies of that kind. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, none of it is too heavy, and I think just about anybody. Uh, could en- could enjoy it, and uh, I just think it's it's a shame that uh, uh, a movie like this is sort of dwarfed by another movie that I haven't seen, but I'm sh- I assume is is pretty good. The original, uh, also being a TV show, Mission Impossible, and uh, and that's that's sort of uh, worn out the the uh, moviegoer for the summer because uh, of, the, of the Tom Cruise movie, and. Uh, you know the, the you know, it looks like the 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 Friday in August you choose to release your movie has a lot to do with how successful it's going to be and <clears throat> I'm assuming uh, that uh, Guy Ritchie and crew thought it was safe because uh, Pixar wasn't coming out with one <laughs> yeah and uh, you know what what they looked like uh, it, it would be their their greatest. Uh, uh, threat would be uh, you know straight out of out of Compton, uh, which is apparently pretty good and and, <laughs> and and you know probably has can share an audience. It doesn't need to dominate the audience, but it but it has. But uh, since uh, I mentioned Mission Impossible, that was another popular uh, late '60s uh, uh, production. It was on CBS, and it, it had in its uh, uh, its favor, uh, kind of an anthology type series, different different villains each week, different kinds of characters, different kinds of gimmicks, uh, different kinds of, of technology that they use, including the famous special kind of mask that they could produce each week, right? And uh, and look uh, like a, a multiple different different kinds of people. Uh, but I I want to insert here uh, by saying that uh, the. Barbara Bain and and uh, uh, Martin um, Landau Landau uh, were of course uh, Im- important uh, cast members, and I got to meet them in New York City when I was uh, uh, like twelve or thirteen. They were just walking down the street from our hotel, and uh, I said, "Hi, Barbara." And she, <laughs> she she said hi back to me, and Martin Landau smiled at me. And that right. uh, was, was one of my few, uh, but but uh, not infrequent chances of uh, seeing celebrities uh, on the streets of New York because my my uh, family went there every year. But uh, that was at the peak of their their notoriety. And if there had been something like you know People Magazine or Entertainment Weekly, they'd have been even uh, even more uh, popular and more visible on the streets. But I was the only one who noticed them <laughs> and uh, understood who they were. But. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, it, you know, some of the other ones I'll mention, TV shows that was one of my favorites was uh, Wild Wild West, which was of course later made into another movie with uh, Will Smith and Kevin oh, no. Kline. No, yeah, and uh, but the the original with Robert Conrad as the uh, James West, who was an, an, a secret agent for uh, President Grant, and he <clears throat> he was you know just. Just a, a magical humorist, and uh, you know they 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 played this role uh, uh, to the hilt. That uh, uh, you know, borrowing again from the the uh, the the Uncle series, but but set in a different era. And uh, you know, like Briscoe County, you know, later uh, in the eighties, uh, was it the eighties? Yeah, uh, ninety three. Oh, ninety three. Okay, boy. Um, you know, it, it was up, sort of updating the 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 uh, <clears throat> excuse me hero character uh, in uh, in the nineteenth uh, century, and so like Briscoe even had some of the uh, the supernatural and the uh, you know the scientific involved. Uh, so did uh, 
so did uh, uh, Robert Conrad in Wild Wild West. And of course, we had uh, I Spy with uh, Bill Cosby and uh, Robert Culp, and uh, uh, another movie, Will Smith <laughs> remake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, surprising he didn't do Get Smart as well instead of Steve Carell. Right. But uh, you know, Get Smart was was at toward the end of this cycle where it was now. Uh, right for the satire. Yeah, and uh, you know it's uh, Mel Brooks, and so it, it was uh, hilarious with deadpan and uh, pun visual gags, and uh, he, uh, you know, Maxwell Smart and uh, Agent Eighty Six was his his, his love uh, interest in it. Barbara Feldon, whose claim to fame previously to that was was doing Noxema commercials uh, right. for uh, for shaving. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I would I would be remiss if I didn't mention what was my my favorite uh, British show, which was not Doctor Who. I'd never heard of Doctor Who in this this era. It hadn't made the jump over the Atlantic. It was not Stan Lee's The Avengers, but John Steed and Emma Peel, uh, uh, man and woman uh, team, uh, The Avengers, who. Uh, who were part detectives and part truly Avengers, or, or trying to to uh, create justice, uh, and but they had very ingenious Sherlock type plots, uh, the the modern Sherlock, uh, and it was hilarious their their repartee between the two, and uh, I think if anybody's never never seen you know multiple episodes of the Avengers, that you're really missing uh, a lot and. Uh, uh, to me, it's a golden age not only of this Cold War narrative and these uh, kind of secret agents. It's it's really a golden era for for clever, witty uh, dialogue and style in a in a TV series. And uh, uh, we we owe it to ABC, uh, you know, who who is a, a hound for for ratings for for uh, introducing uh, America to the Avengers. That's great, and then. Um which they and they also later remade into a film with Ray Fine, uh, right? But that didn't do so well back then. Um, yeah, it kind of seems to be hit or miss with these films. What what do we have an appetite for, reboot wise or original wise? You know, as we come to the times, um, you know, and and, and I, I like leading into the the get smart, you know, because then you can leap from there into, like you mentioned earlier, with Austin Powers. Um, the French series OSS 117 um, they made two of those films and I think they're supposedly working on a third one now um, and, and again it's just kind of taking these you know what I like about OSS in particular is that it, it is also set in the 60s as well and it's kind of that French you know absurdist kind of fun that they have with that too and that stars Jean Dujardin who was uh People remember he won the Oscar for the artist as the lead in that film. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, both of those, uh, and uh, it, it, it was so silly. Yeah, in, in a way, I like silly. Uh, the, uh, the 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 superpowers or the super intellect or the or the 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 uh, super kind of uh, uh, prowess. Uh, the uh, the uh, both. Uh, Gymnastics of the of the part are 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 so uh, silly in in uh, uh, escaping death or, or saving uh, whoever needed to be saving at the moment. Uh, they're uh, they're very entertaining, and uh, y- you can see also um, uh, there there was a movie that uh, we we haven't uh, made it. I didn't see until my adult years, but I, I liked a lot, and that was the the Ipcress file. Which starred Michael Caine, and he was kind of, you know, is that uh, Jean Dujardin Dardan Dardan character uh, because uh, he he is a spy, but he starts out as a thief, uh, and he's recruited uh, to uh, to to be this super spy by MI6. Because he's so clever with his hands, and you know he's he's you know sleight of hand and and uh, and, and also very very clever and and, and uh, witty. And uh, I I think that uh, most of the time um, 
you know, when when I see Michael Caine in a movie, I I I see that Ipcris file character and and another character of his that in, in a in a movie that didn't get a lot of attention, but I like like very much called. Uh, uh, now I can't think of the name, <laughs> Harry Brown, right? Uh, and uh, where it, it's it's the wit and the cunning of the character that that you, you come and and um, uh, that you enjoy the movie almost for how he outsmarts or uh, outsmarts the person. <laughs> <laughs> you know the world of of, of spies. You know, it had a Mad Magazine counterpart, Spy versus Spy. It was a, a running gag in each uh, monthly issue of Mad Magazine that, you know, lots and lots and lots of kids, uh, you know, grew up reading. And uh, there's just something about the, uh, the the kind of character it represents and uh, in, in who you'd like to be and why. And so I, I had all those toys. I, I you know, there was a... Uh, an elaborate Man from Uncle paperback series, and I got all of those. And uh, uh, it's uh, it, it's an era that is actually filled with all sorts of fears and worries, and uh, you uh, uh, you wonder how you know what's going to happen to the world. You know what, what, what's going to go on. You know, nuclear warfare is one thing, but you know maybe every government in in the world is is uh, you know, undermined uh, by by this set of secret people that you can't uh, uh, you can't uh, trust, and, and of course, the, even the Pink Panther series, the original, and then the the series that uh, uh, Steve Martin tried to reintroduce. Uh, even though there's some common crime element to it, there's also you know behind it, you know the uh, uh, the Bruce Lee character who's going to teach you how to how to uh, fight with jujitsu in the background. He's always lurking behind the door, and and all of that is uh, you know a unique uh, episode in uh, in cultural history where uh, most of the characters are not Americans. Uh, you might have your American hero, but it's James Bond. It's somebody from France. It's somebody from Russia, and uh, that's that's basically the only way. Uh, an American teenager was going to see a foreign movie in that in that era. Definitely, it's all very uh, it, it raises the issues of kind of our global citizenship and, and international affairs. Um, I know it's definitely my connections and in, in, in love of the genre as well as kind of feeling like I'm part on part of a bigger stage at play too. You know, always feeling like you know growing up in America is a bit of a bubble you know for most people and they don't get out so I think we bring these movies to them to at least give them a a couple hours of escape um, and to remind them we're not the only ones on the planet Um, yeah well you know then there's this interlude in the you know late 80s early 90s where John Le Carre the, the novelist is writing uh, you know, just a series of uh, uh, very uh, densely plotted. It's not even fair to call them spy, although they are spy stories. They're about uh, uh, double agents, really. Uh, and so, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the, the the sort of original TV adaptation, which in, involved uh, Alec Guinness, which uh, uh, I enjoyed. Uh, but you know, probably too slow. It's too slow for American audiences. Definitely. Uh, uh, you know, they have to be on PBS to to uh, to be watched, I suppose. But then you know, the 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 later remake uh, uh, a few years ago, uh, which was uh, you know focused on uh, the same characters, slightly differently plotted. Uh, and it sort of dressed up with a little more um, violence that I think occurred uh, in the original uh, TV drama. But uh, uh, it was also delightful. Uh, but um, you know, many of the British stories seem to focus on, on moles and, and who, who is, who is uh, undermining us, who is, who is uh, trading our secrets. And so maybe the 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 Brits must have had a bigger problem with uh, with that because I don't remember a lot of stories in the era 
that I grew up in and, and subsequent to that that are focused on you know American moles and and trying to undermine uh, not undermine but unearth who that is in a particular uh, agency or or uh, service like the army or, or navy and uh, but uh, but now in the um, in the present day a raft of uh, of TV shows like The Americans. Homeland, uh, Deutschland 83, which I just recently watched, uh, a German production that focuses on the, the 1980s. And uh, both both Deutschland 83 and, and the Americans um, start out, at least at the beginning of the series, uh, with, uh, with Reagan as the villain. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the bully and so forth. But... Uh, uh, I, I thought uh, all that I've seen of, uh, of Deutschland 83 very captivating, and you know, from a different perspective than than uh, you know, we're used to thinking. And of course, you, you've you've seen others that I actually have not seen. Other other German uh, uh, movies that are uh, you know focused on uh, uh, East Germany and before the the the, the, the fall of uh, the Soviet Union and. Uh, uh, whether it's uh, uh, a movie like uh, uh, A Most Wanted Man, which I also haven't seen, uh, and uh, the uh, the other uh, surveillance-type movies that are focused on uh, the hardships of living under a totalitarian regime, uh, you know, th- those all are, are sort of part and parcel of this feeling of paranoia, and uh, it, it comes across to Americans like they're, they're action movies, but really they're just part of this, this deadly everydayness of being under surveillance in, a, in, in this totalitarian regime. And uh, you really have to wring out all of the tension, not from action sequences as much as from uh, the, the drama of uh, each personality and uh, you know, how they survive. Definitely. I think um, well, one that comes to mind is The Lives of Others, which was, you know, a, a German film also set during kind of after the, the fall of Germany and, and dealing with the Stasi and the, you know, surveillance and, you know, all of the kind of moral quandaries he gets in, you know. And I, I like, like you say, you know, we don't necessarily need these great violent outbursts i think a lot of the stories i enjoy most in the genre are more looking into those lives of these characters and um the violence is is few and far between when it really is important and it means something um and i think if you do end up going to see uh, most one a man i think it's on netflix now um what of philip seymour hoffman one of his last movies um it's, it's very well very like taut and you know keeps you on the edge of your seat with you know what's going to happen in the end and kind of playing on the, the twists of the genre. Um, yeah, I guess one thing I could say is just it's it seems like it's it will never not be popular to do that. I think this year alone, like you said, we had Mission Impossible, we had Man from U.N.C.L.E., we have another James Bond coming. There's a, a rich uh, TV culture, too, with spies all over the place, you know, even stretching into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That, you know, this is, you know, ingrained in us now, and there, are, there will always, always be, you know, a, a fair share of spy genres to, to kind of dip your toe into and, and kind of see what's kind of your flavor that you like. Yeah, and uh, the, the novels of that era were, uh, you know, the, the Spy Who Came In From The Cold, which was, I think, the first Cold War movie uh, of, the, of the era. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can count The Third Man and uh, some other uh, Orson Welles-type movies, but uh, that's really a post-war noir movie more than it is a, a Cold War movie, although you can say they, they partake of the same, uh, same atmosphere. I, I just think that uh, it's, it's a class of movies that has to be done very intricately, very, very well, with a lot of attention to detail and... Uh, you know some of the broader ones that have appeared on TV uh, in, in the last season. You know the network TV shows uh, with the the uh, you know the State Department. We we know so much about the State Department now. There, there's so <laughs> many so many things out there 
uh, and you know, the tell it all sorts of books and in the internet and you know Edward Snowden, all these kinds of things. It's really hard to uh, make a, a TV show week to week anymore that 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 carries the authenticity and a sense of uh, of finding uh, honor in the behavior of somebody who's caught in the middle or, you know, they didn't intend to be double agents, that sort of thing. And uh, it just gets pro- played so broadly that it, it lacks uh, the kind of interest uh, and, and level of, uh, of focus to carry it. it it's like when, when you're in an era where there are only doctor shows, and you know, we, we had an era like that in the 60s where you know, and uh, you, the diseases and the problems had to get more and more specific in order to you know carry the plot along because uh, you just can't have a, a brain tumor every week. And uh, there was there was a, a series called Ben Casey that I would uh, would have said that the in the first couple of years it, it was some of the finest drama ever produced. It wasn't medical drama; it was drama and. Uh, they happen to be doctors, but you know the 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 later years of of hospital dramas, you know, become disease of the week or uh, infection of the week, and yeah. and uh, and they all become uh, uh, detective stories rather than you know drama that that flows from the lives of doctors and so forth. Just like you can have police shows, and you can have. Uh, uh, military shows now like uh, NCIS and and uh, you know, return to uh, this very broad level, and you don't need to do too much thinking. Uh, and there's probably going to be a shoot 'em up somewhere along the way, and you know that's the kind of uh, of plotting and melodramatic uh, uh, characterization of the world that uh, you know. Uh, uh, a Western like Maverick, which we talked about earlier, it, it undermines. It was a different sort of of, uh, of Western, and, and you know, unlike the ones that uh, people were so used to, and that's what breaks the mold. That's what makes uh, uh, series TV uh, make or break, and that's why I would say we're getting a little bit far afield. But the the first year of True Detective was really, you know, uh, compelling, and this one. It just got too uh, spread out, oh, and, and it rallied toward the end. I think uh, I, I think I probably ended up liking the last episode more than uh, Mike did, and, and I think he and you in, in the the pseudo cast uh, were going to that last episode thinking it was pretty good already. It doesn't need to you know do too much to 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 win you over, and uh, you know I, I was just sad to see. Uh, See it end because I think it just got got uh, going well, and and that's the, uh, the the summary I would make of most of these shows that I loved as a a youth. Uh, you know, Mission Impossible, uh, uh, The Men from Uncle, The Saint with uh, Roger Moore, uh, Secret Agent Man. Let me, I mean, you couldn't call it anything more literal than that. <laughs> <laughs> It was called Secret Agent Man. The theme song was called Secret Agent Man. <laughs> you kind of you kind of knew what what you were going to see, but it was it was from Britain, so it was cleverly written, and uh, it wasn't just a broad shoot 'em up. It was uh, much more finesse and uh, in in finding your way through uh, a, a dark tunnel uh, of uh, of drama and. Uh, uh, that's Patrick McGowan, and uh, who also did The Prisoner. Those those kinds of shows are 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 now left to uh, FX and uh, and the uh, the sort of cable level uh, because they, they just have to be played too broadly in in the plotting, uh, or or they make the mistake of Gotham, which has become I think too intricate for for uh, their own good. And uh, I was just reading today that uh, uh, this year's Gotham, year two, uh, is going to be more of what the fans want, which may not be any better. But uh, Yeah, it tends to be everything at once. Too many people, too many stories, too many villains. Yes, the fan service, I think, to the detriment. Yeah, it, uh, it ends up betraying, I think, its, uh, its legitimate roots and... Again, even within the same era, 
the man from Uncle both innovated and ended up uh, undermining itself and, and tried to rally in the in the last year to to be more of what it was before, you know, having become so campy. Uh, but they uh, they lost their audience and uh, you know they didn't come back. That's too bad. So, any closing thoughts for us on the men from Acronym? Well, I would just say that the era of the men from Uncle, the original, was actually a very th- uh, therapeutic era for uh, Americans, and it, it, it was a time that we needed, especially again post uh, Kennedy assassination, for something that is. Uh, uh, it, it's light, but it also lets some of the good guys who uh, who are involved in espionage give us something to uh, to cheer for, and uh, and that was certainly something that uh, that I enjoyed, and uh, I I clearly uh, wanted to be an agent of some kind, and enjoyed buying those those toys that allowed you to take secret pictures and uh, record voices and all that sort of stuff. But uh, uh, my problem was, as an only child, I didn't have anybody to uh, play with them with. So uh, that, that's, that's why you, uh, you want these, these stories and, and uh, kinds of approaches to storytelling to come back so you can share them with your, your children and their grandchildren. That's good. I look forward to doing that, too. <laughs> and that'll do it for Episode 16 of Some Pulp. Thank you so much for listening. As usual, you can find the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash sumpulp slash 16. If you want to hit us up online with any follow-up questions or discussion, you can always find us on Twitter. You can find me at PseudoJustin, and Bruce is at BruceBGSU. Thank you so much for listening. We totally love you guys. And if one day you're out there thinking you want to go above and beyond just listening and you actually want to support us... Check out sunriserobot.net slash support and consider becoming one of our Patreons like Bruce Edwards and Andreas Langa. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Some Pulp.